Matthew chapter 1. Just a very simple message tonight. Just want to look at the name Jesus and consider a few details concerning it. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Let's hear the Word of God together. You may not have a Bible with you tonight. You can follow along perhaps with the person beside you or just listen as we read God's precious Word. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And we'll just end at verse 25, and we know that God will bless the reading of his word. Verse 21, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then again, verse 25, And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. And ask the Lord to speak in the closing moments of this meeting. Let's pray. Loving God and everlasting Father, we thank Thee tonight for this service already. We pray and ask, O God, that Thou wilt accept of our thanks for the presence of the Lord with us already. We thank Thee for the ministry and song, and we thank Thee for congregational singing. We thank Thee for all of the truths that have dovetailed together that again bring us to the Savior's feet. We thank Thee, Lord, for the reading of Thy Word, and we pray that Thou wilt open our hearts to receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God that is able to save the soul. I pray for the help of heaven, for the infilling of the Spirit of God, and I pray that even now in this very service, whether people are here presently or watching online, that the Spirit of God will speak to hearts, that you will save the lost, that you will restore those who have grown cold and backslidden, and bless and encourage the saints. But most of all, we pray that thou will glorify thine own great name and exalt thy Son, for it's in the worthy name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. You know, oftentimes whenever a baby is born, a lot of time and thought and consideration is given to the naming of that child. And I'm sure your parents, 
gave you the name that you had for specific reasons. And if you have got children of your own, I'm sure you thought long and hard about what you might call them. We're living in a day where names for young people and for babies are becoming ever more unusual and flamboyant. Remember, a man that I knew was a plumber by trade and one of his workmates, his wife gave birth to a little boy, and they named him after every member of the Manchester United football team. A big, big, long name. All of the players in Manchester United, this boy was named after every single one of them. Unusual to do such a thing. I can remember a number of years ago, I used to take uh, the children to a, a, a play, an indoor play park. I think it was called uh, Alley Cats or something like that. Cheeky Chimps, maybe it was. And I can remember sitting studying at a desk as one of the children was running about up and down the slides and there was a girl and she had a, a t-shirt on with the name of a rock band across the front of the t-shirt. The name of the rock band was Nirvana. And all of a sudden I started to hear her shouting out this word over and over again. And this little girl appeared and ran into the arms of her mother and she had named her child after that rock band. I found that rather strange, rather unusual. But names in Bible times are significant. The Word of God says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22 and verse number 1, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver or gold. And the idea there behind the word name has reference to character. A good name, a good character, a good reputation is rather to be chosen than great riches. And yet under the inspiration of the Spirit of God in the Bible, a person's name and the literal meaning of their name oftentimes summarize something of their character, their personality, and their testimony. Jacob was named Jacob because before really meeting with the Lord, he was a supplanter, a twister. He was shrewd and he was crooked, and that's what his name indicates. And then whenever the Lord touched his life and changed his name to Israel, he really became a soldier of the Lord, a servant of the Lord, and a son of God. And he began to embody everything that the name Israel represents. Now, over 200 names are given to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Scripture. The Bible calls him the Savior, Emmanuel, Redeemer, Messiah, Shiloh, the Prince, the King of Kings, the King of the Jews, the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valleys, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Branch of Righteousness, the Desire of Nations, our Advocate, our Mediator, our Great High Priest, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, Lord, Master, Rabbi, the Captain of our Salvation, the Beloved, the Bridegroom, the First and the Last, the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, and the end, the way, the truth, the life, the vine, the door, the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the son of David, the root and offspring of David, the day star, the rock, the resurrection, 
and the life, the head of the church, the Lamb of God, the Ancient of Days, the Almighty, the great God and our Savior, my beloved and my friend. But many people tonight simply know him as Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then we read of Joseph, whenever Mary brought forth her firstborn son, Joseph, in obedience to the Lord, named the boy Jesus. And the name Jesus simply means Savior. Salvation is of the Lord. It's the New Testament counterpart of the Old Testament name, Joshua. And that name Jesus is so precious to every single Christian. Every single believer can say, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, it heals his wounds, it drives away his fear. Oh, how I love the Savior's name. There's something beautiful, something precious, something wonderful, something altogether lovely about the name of Jesus. And I just want to take tonight the name Jesus and think about each letter in that name and bring just a simple truth from the Word of God that shows us Something, yes, about his name, but also something about his great person and his great work for us upon the cross. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. The letter J reminds me that the Bible refers to him as the just one. Jesus Christ is the just one. As far as the human race is concerned, that is all that are born naturally, into the human family, all of the sons of Adam, the Word of God says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. All have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. By one man sin entered into the world, and all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Solomon in his wisdom said in Ecclesiastes 7 and 20, there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Every single one of us tonight gathered together in the bundle of life, the common denominator for the entire human race is the reality that we are born with a sin nature. And whenever that sin nature begins to grow and develop and take effect, we make wrong choices, we say the wrong things, we do the wrong things, and we go astray from the mother's womb. Why is it tonight that none of us are perfect? It's because we are all polluted and contaminated with a sin nature. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. But then, Jesus Christ came into this world, and the Bible says he was born of a virgin. The Word of God says when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made not so much of a man, but made of a woman and made under the law. He was conceived supernaturally 
by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, born of a woman, or as the prophet Isaiah said, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, 14, Acts chapter 7, 52, Acts chapter 22 and 14, that he is referred to as the just one. The just one. And the word one there could be singled out. And surely the Spirit of God is indicating that this is the only true just man that ever really lived. Now, other men in the Bible were declared to be just whenever their sins were forgiven. And from that moment on, they went on generally to live a God-honoring and a righteous life. But the only one who was ever born righteous and born just and lived a truly righteous life was Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the just one. Even Pilate gave it as his testimony whenever the Son of God was brought before him. And all of the evidence was correlated that had been gathered over all of the years of his earthly ministry. Pilate had to concede and say, I find no fault in this man. And then as the crowd cried out, crucify him, he washed his hands and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. The scripture says he did no sin. He knew no sin. He was without sin, and in him is no sin. And yet that sinless, perfect life was offered up upon a cruel cross as a sacrifice for our sins. The New Testament records it, that Jesus Christ our Lord died the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, and he laid down as a sacrifice that sinless, spotless life. And as the hymn writer said, there was no other good enough to pay the price for sins. Jesus only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. I wonder tonight, have you ever come to the cross? Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you ever been justified? Have your sins ever been forgiven? And your sins cancelled out and washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And then you're declared righteous because His righteousness is put on your account. And God views you and sees you in Christ. He's the just one. He's also the eternal one. The letter E speaks of His eternality. Now everything that we know and really experience with our physical senses in this world is by nature transient and temporal. Everything that we see and touch and can be conscious of around us, it all is subject to change. The hymn writer wrote in his hymn, Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. And it's very difficult tonight for us to conceive of those things which are eternal. Now in 2 Corinthians 4.18, the apostle Paul exhorted us not to think upon things that are temporal, but to think upon things that are eternal. 
He says, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now tonight, you have got a soul within your body. You cannot see it, but it is real. And your soul tonight is eternal. And then the Bible also speaks about a home eternal in the heavens. Now, we cannot see heaven tonight with our naked eye and with our senses. It's invisible to us tonight, but it is nonetheless real and eternal. And so it goes with the other end of the spectrum. The Bible speaks about an everlasting and eternal hell. We cannot see it tonight. It's invisible. It's hidden from our view. But nevertheless, it is real. And then the Bible also speaks about an eternal salvation. Salvation is a spiritual experience. You can't put it in a bottle. You can't put it in a shop in a, or in a shelf in a shop. You can't package it or parcel up or hand it to somebody. They can't touch it with their hands or see it physically with their eyes. But salvation is a real experience. And so it is tonight with God. The Bible says He dwells in light that no man can approach unto. He's invisible tonight to us. We walk by faith and not by sight. And yet God is real. The Bible says... The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath and round about are the everlasting arms. And eternality is one of the attributes of deity. There are certain attributes that only God Almighty can truly possess. God alone is without beginning and without end. God alone is everlasting in the sense that he has got no beginning, as well as having no ending. There was no time in eternity past whenever God did not exist. And he's also everywhere present. And he's all-knowing. And he's all-powerful. And these are attributes that are divine. And yet the Bible says concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the little prophecy of Micah, so often overlooked in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. That's why the Bible says that Jesus Christ our Lord is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And sad to say that that word begotten is omitted from so many, probably the vast majority of modern Bible versions. And yet it's a critical word. It's a vital word. Because it really means that God gave his eternally generated Son, one who is without beginning and one who is without end. Now, a Christian tonight is a son of God, a child of God. But Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son. He's the eternal, everlasting Son of God. His being is eternal. His person is eternal. His sonship is eternal. 
His purposes and plans for us are eternal, and His love for us as well is an eternal love. The Christian, the child of God, is able to testify that they are loved with an everlasting love. The love of God is like Himself. It's without beginning, and it's without end. Child of God tonight, there has never been a time whenever God did not love you. And there will never be a time whenever God will not love you. There's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you more than He does. And there's nothing that you could ever do that would ever make God love you less than He does. Jesus Christ is the just one. Jesus Christ is the eternal one. And then the letter S reminds us that Jesus Christ is a servant. That's a wonderful truth, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a servant. Some of the most incredible verses in all the Bible speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ are to be found in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5 through to verse number 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. There's his deity. There's his eternality. There's the fact that he's just and righteous. He was co-equal and co-eternal with God Almighty, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what? A servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And his whole earthly ministry can be summarized in that word servant. He was the perfect servant of God the Father, but he also came to serve amongst fallen humanity. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but rather to minister and give His life a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but rather He came in order to be a servant. And I think that's a remarkable thing. He didn't come into this world with a rod in His hand to beat us with and a magnifying glass in the other. But he came into this world and came into this world as a servant. And in John 13, the night before he went to the cross to die for our sins, the Bible says, And supper being ended, the Lord Jesus Christ girded himself with a towel and gathered together a basin and filled the basin with water and went round the feet of the twelve and washed their very feet even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot himself, and he came into this world to be a servant. Isn't that a truth that ought to melt our hearts? Before going to Calvary's cross, he took the form of a servant and washed the feet of his disciples, and he spent his entire earthly ministry in the service of God and man. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering and worship to the servant king. And he calls us likewise to serve him. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. 
come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with praise. And enter into his courts with thanksgiving. See it, Spurgeon, the prince of preachers said, He is no Christian who does not seek to serve his God. He is no Christian at all who does not seek to serve his God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who took upon him the form of a servant. Only the servant will hear those words in eternity. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. J-E-S-U-S. He's the just one. He's the eternal one. He's the servant. And then the letter U. He's the unknown one. The Bible says in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse number 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him. And yet... The world knew him not. The Scripture says the world, by wisdom, by human wisdom, by human reason and by human understanding, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. John the Baptist said in John 1, 26, concerning the Lord, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not, And that could be said of us in a meeting like this. The Savior said, where two or three are met together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But some of you tonight do not know him. You might know a little bit about him. But personally, you do not know him. The prophet Isaiah said, He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Even at this time of year, whenever many people are professing to celebrate Christmas and will eat together and dine together and talk together and laugh together and take time out of school and time out of employment and give and exchange gifts all under the umbrella of Christmas, there are many tonight who do not really know him. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 28 says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. We live in a world that does not want to know him. In fact, they are beginning to change the the letters on the calendar from A.D., the year of our Lord, to the letter C.E., the common era. Because even our calendar is a testimony to Jesus Christ. It's 2022 A.D. Anno Donami, the year of our Lord. But they're trying now to change it to 2022 C.E., the common era. Because they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. And that's why they're trying to do away with anything that represents Jesus Christ or the Christian gospel out of society. Because as far as the world is concerned, he's unknown. But a Christian is someone who knows Jesus Christ. The Son of God made it his prayer in John 17 and verse number 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I tell you tonight, you can go to church, you can be religious, you can sit at the Lord's table, you can be christened and confirmed and baptized and put money in the plate and be very religious but not know Jesus Christ personally, 
intimately as Savior, Lord, and Master, and friend. And there's a day coming, the Bible says, whenever the Son of God shall appear and shall take vengeance upon all them that know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you tonight, do you know him personally as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? I like to read biographies. I like to read the biographies of the great missionaries and the great evangelists. Sometimes I like to read biographies of sporting greats as well. We had many biographies of some of the great boxers in times past. Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Mike Tyson, Frank Bruno. And I knew some things about them, but I've never met them. And if they were to be asked, do you know Roger Higgins? They would say, I've never heard of him. I do not know them personally. And some people are like that with Jesus Christ. They can say that he was born in Bethlehem, that he was crucified upon a cross, that he rose again the third day, that he ascended up into glory, that he's coming back again. And they can quote many Bible verses that speak about him. But friend, tonight, do you know him whenever he comes back again? Will you know him as your Savior and as your Lord. Then one last little thought, the letter S again. Jesus Christ is the just one. He's the eternal one. He's the serving one. He's the unknown one, as far as many are concerned. But for the child of God, he's the sufficient one. He's absolutely sufficient. Many years ago, a wealthy businessman purchased a Rolls-Royce car he waited for a long time and arranged for that car to be delivered to his home. And this beautiful brand new Rolls Royce was delivered to his house. He was very excited to get the manual out of the glove box and read about the car. But he was somewhat surprised that that little manual told him virtually nothing about the performance the statistics of that Rolls Royce. He was especially interested to know how much brake horsepower the engine could produce. But the manual told him nothing about it. And so he wrote off a letter to Rolls-Royce in England and says, I've just purchased a new Rolls-Royce Phantom, but the, 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 the information book doesn't tell me how much horsepower it produces. I want to know how much power this car can produce. And the managing director sent them back a letter with one word on it adequate. And he meant by that, it'll be more than you will ever need. It's more than sufficient for your needs. And dear friends, tonight Jesus Christ is more than adequate. He's more than sufficient for anyone who comes and puts their faith and trust in him. He's more than adequate. He's absolutely and completely sufficient. He has got enough grace and love and mercy to save you. He has done enough on the cross to cancel out all of your sins. And he is enough to satisfy that longing in your heart. Jesus Christ, I say it again, is enough. He has done enough and he has enough to meet every single person tonight in this room and millions outside of it at the point of their need. Whatever your needs are tonight, Jesus Christ is all sufficient to meet the needs of those who seek him. The apostle Paul undoubtedly felt his weakness, his insufficiency, 
his inability for the task that God had called him to. But Paul records that at his testimony, 2 Corinthians 3, verse number 5, our sufficiency is of God. And then whenever physical adversity and trial came, and Paul endured a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed about that, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And whatever you are facing tonight, whatever your needs are, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is absolutely sufficient for every trial, for every need, for every burden in life. He's the rock of ages. And whenever we cast ourselves upon Him, He is well able to bear us up. Charles Wesley recorded the words in his great hymn, Jesus Lover, off my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. He said, other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. Raise the fallen, cheer the faint. Heal the sick and lead the blind. Just and holy is thy name. I am all unrighteousness, vile and full of sin I am. Thou art full of truth and grace. Plenteous grace with thee is found. Grace to cover all my sin. Let the healing streams abound. Make and keep me pure within. Thou of life the fountain art. Freely let me take of thee. Spring thou up within my heart. Rise to all eternity. You know, C.H. Spurgeon used to quote as he went to the pulpit, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, feeling his human weakness and inability. Thy grace is sufficient for me. Over and over again, thy grace is sufficient for me. Jesus Christ is absolutely sufficient for all of your needs. The hymn writer said, Christ is the answer to my every need. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. He's the just one. He's the eternal one. He's the servant. But maybe tonight for you, he's unknown. You've never trusted him. You've never called upon his lovely name. You've never asked him to save you. But you know something, he's sufficient. You can cast your soul upon him and come to him with absolute honesty and openness and transparency. And he'll meet you tonight at the point of need. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I used to go and visit an old saint of God. She used to love to sing in gospel services and meetings. She had a wonderful gift and then she fell ill and she was diagnosed with dementia and she lost her bearings, and she lost the sense of her family and her nearest and dearest all around her. And I used to go and visit that lady and sit with her for maybe an hour in a nursing home and talk to her about her friends and her family, ask her how she was, and the nurses would come round, and she spoke not a word to anyone. But whenever you mentioned the name of Jesus, a smile used to spread across her face, and sometimes I used to sit in the corner of that room, and I wouldn't do it for many, but I used to sit in the corner and sing to her into her ear. 
What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. And there was something that just in her heart, whenever those old songs were sung and the name of Jesus Christ was mentioned, she just seemed to come alive once again. And then she would drift back into the little world that she was living in. And then at last she went to be with the Savior. She went to be with her Lord. And what a wonderful thing it must be to close your eyes in this world and to open them in glory. And I believe the first face that we see in heaven will be the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's said of Stephen as he was being stoned to death that heavens were opened and he says, I see the heavens opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, receive my spirit. And I believe that whenever the heavens are opened and the spirit and the soul of the believer goes into the presence of God, the first face that they will see is the face of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I pray tonight that you know him. If you don't, I encourage you, I exhort you, I plead with you. This night, give your heart, give your life to Jesus Christ and enter into the joy of God's salvation and experience his wonderful wonderful pardon in your life.